0: Hey, Hussein here, host of the Success Grid Podcast. Welcome to a new episode of the Success Grid Podcast. This is episode number 45, Making the World a Better Place with Storm Cunningham. We are talking about restoration, economy, revitalization, and much more. Please stay tuned. Welcome to
1: Success Grid the place for sharing entrepreneurial stories, knowledge, and wisdom to educate and inspire you to always strive to raise your standards in your business and your life. With your host, Hussein
0: Talib. Welcome to a new episode of the Success Great Podcast. Today I have with me, Storm Cunningham. He's the executive director of Economics Institute and author of the Restoration Economy, three wealth and Economics, The Path to Resilient Prosperity. Storm, welcome to the grid.
1: Thanks, Hussein. Appreciate awesome. you having me on your show.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, Storm, give us a little bit of history of of you and the, the economics movement, let's say.
1: Well, uh- it kind of got started back in the 80s uh, mm. when a German scientist who was working in Jamaica uh, was working on some technology to restore coral reefs. Mm. And I didn't think any such thing was possible, but uh, he needed some divers to come down and help him out to installing these uh, technologies on the ocean floor. So I did that and I saw that Places that had been totally dead, just totally destroyed coral reefs in just a few months were coming back to life. And that's when it suddenly hit me that we don't need to be satisfied with just sustainable development. Mm. Uh, You know, our world is in pretty bad shape right now. And, uh, you know, who wants to sustain this mess? You know, we need to revitalize and restore and regenerate and redevelop, uh, you know, bring our cities and our nature, natural resources back to life. And uh, so he showed me that that was actually possible. And then about 10 years later, I started writing my first book, The Restoration Economy, which came out in 2002. And uh, then I had a second book came out from McGraw Hill in 2008 called ReWealth. And just last year, my third book, Reconomics, came out. Good.
0: so do do you why do you think that the planet is in bad shape?
1: <laughs> well, because uh, because my eyes are open, <laughs> <laughs> I I can see it, um, uh, and also I'm old enough to remember what it was like fifty years ago, mm. uh, and even uh, sixty years ago. You know, it's uh, when I was a child uh, in New Jersey. You know, I'd go to a local creek. And this was not out in the country. This was in the city. Mm. I walked through the stream, and it was full of life, you know, full of fish and crayfish and dragonfly larvae and newts and salamanders. And it was just full of life. And these days, you walk through any stream anywhere in any city in the United States, and you see nothing. You know, maybe a few invasive spe- fish species. Uh, but, uh, you know, and so the kids these days, they're growing up thinking that that's normal.
0: Uh, so yeah. The
1: trouble is that with each generation, our standards get lower and lower and lower because the creek I saw when I was a child was in much worse shape than it had been a century before that. So my standards are lower. Um,
0: so, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, so, yeah. So, so, so with time, you think it's, it's going downhill more and more with time? It's, there is no improvement. All back think, to life in a way, let's say.
1: There's there's been some improvements, you know. For instance, here in the states, you know, uh, about 40 years ago, we passed the Clean Air Law and the Clean Water Law, and mm-hmm. uh, those have made a big difference in the health of our rivers and our lakes <laughs> and our and in our air quality. So yeah, on some standards, it's been getting better. But with population increases, you know, we've got twice the population now that we had uh 50 years ago and uh, the planet isn't getting any larger so (laughs) what happens when you have a growing population in a space that's not getting larger eventually uh, catastrophe
0: hits exactly so uh, what does economics does for uh, for this well there there are tons of
1: professionals out there right now engineers architects planners ecologists who are doing projects that restore ecosystems, restore watersheds, restore fisheries, clean up contaminated industrial lands, redevelop vacant uh, spaces, restore historic buildings, you know, rebuild after war and catastrophes. You know, and all of these are elements of the restoration economy. It's over 2 trillion dollars a year. Oh. The missing thing is At the community level or the regional level or even the national level, when politicians promise revitalization Mm. or they promise resilience, they don't have an actual process for doing that. At Mm. the project level, all these professionals have, have a process for restoring a building, for restoring an ecosystem. But at the level of revitalization, there's no process. So these community leaders, the mayors, the governors, they just do a bunch of individual projects and hope that somehow magically revitalization will appear if they do enough good things. So what Reconomics Institute does is we train people in the process that actually produces revitalization and resilience.
0: Okay, cool. So you 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 talk you said like. Maybe these kind of things, the processes may be failing. That people. No, are that,
1: it, it's not that the processes fail. It's that they don't have a process. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, okay, cool. So, so they didn't have. So they don't have a process to process the resilience initiatives for yeah. uh, places and uh, uh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. uh, so they do they have a vision, a strategy, or a plan to do that, or do do they do no. anything about that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question because those are you know the vision, the strategy; those are elements of the process. Mm. You have to have a vision. You have to know where you're going. Yeah. Uh, so, a vision basically is a is a, is a cohesive set of goals. Yeah. So that's where you want to go. Mm. Uh, the trouble is that. Most communities these days have a vision. Uh, they're very popular. You know, they do visioning workshops and bring everybody together, and that, that makes people feel good. It makes them feel like the government is listening to them. The trouble is that many times these are just exercises. They're just political exercises, and the vision is never really used. It mm. just, uh, at the end of it, they just write the vision down, they stick the document on a shelf, and it's forgotten. So you can't have a vision without a strategy. A strategy is how you turn a vision into success. Yeah, exactly. In fact, that's the only purpose of a strategy is to produce success.
0: A a lot of governments, let's say governments, they make plans. Like you said, they put it on a on a shelf and didn't do anything about it.
1: Yeah, well, plans are different. Yeah, plan. Plan. There's a whole industry. That has arisen. It's billions of dollars a year that produces plans for politicians who have no intention of ever using them. Mm. Uh, Plans are very popular amongst mayors uh, because it makes them look like they're doing something. And all they have to do is write a check, and there's no risk. So they write a check to a planning firm for $100,000. And maybe a year later, they get a nice, big, shiny plan and they hold it up. And, you know, so they get. They get popular. They get uh, publicity when they commission the plan and there's no risk. They get more publicity when they receive the plan and still no risk. The trouble is that if they actually try to implement the plan, there's risk. And politicians don't like risk. So <laughs> that's why they put the plan on the shelf and forget about it for five or 10 years. And then they can announce, oh, we need to update our plan. And now they can write another check and get another no risk success.
0: Yeah. a new one comes uh, comes along, and yeah, we have to update it, and uh, nothing yep. happens. Yeah, yep. so uh, what how, what are some of the most inspiring and d- dramatic stories of places coming back to life have you seen in your life?
1: Well, I personally, I've always mostly been focused on nature. I love seeing ecosystems and fisheries and watersheds come back to life, but really, the most dramatic stories are the ones that involve cities. Mm. Uh, for instance, the very first city I ever ran across that had a real revitalization process, a complete mm. process, was Chattanooga, Tennessee. And they, that city was dying. Uh, their air quality was so bad that you had to drive with your headlights on in the middle of the day. Uh, you know, just to see where you were going, uh, they had tremendous racial problems, crime problems. They were losing all their employers. You know their economy was going down the toilet, and uh, the city was dying. And the, the local people decided to clean up their air, and they actually were the first city in the United States to win the Clean Air Award mm. nationally. And that it did so many good things for their economy that they decided to, since they had somehow learned to work together to achieve that uh, air quality improvement, they decided to keep on working together to revitalize the whole city. And they went from being the <sighs> filthiest city in the United States to mm-hmm. being a poster child of revitalization. When I was there 15 years ago, there was a, a study group. Of government officials from Vietnam who had flown all the way from Vietnam to see the Chattanooga Miracle.
0: So can people make an effort to refocus their experience to be leaders in their communities, to make places better in their communities? How, how can people do that? Or, uh. you, know,
1: how, you mean how how can how can ordinary citizens, yeah, help revitalize their communities? Yeah, well, the most important thing they can do, is help educate their community leaders about how to actually achieve revitalization or resilience. you know so mm-hmm. they have to make them aware of the elements of the process that are missing. Because most communities have some elements of the process. you know it's just it's just common sense. If you talk to any business person and ask them, why is your business successful, it you know it doesn't matter whether they're producing clothing or cars, or food or whatever, they'll say, well, it's because we have a good process for turning these raw materials into this finished project product and distributing it. Uh, so, But the problem is the communities don't have any process like that. So if an ordinary citizen were to, even if they just read the book, Reconomics, um, they, they would learn the process and then they could show up at government meetings or city council meetings or whatever and say, uh, look, you folks are, have done a good job with creating a vision and you've got some plans and you've got some projects, but what you're missing are these elements. You, know, you don't have regenerative policies to support this work or you don't have regenerative partnerships to attract more resources. Um, you know, and so they can show them that there are six absolutely essential parts of the process and they might be missing one or two of them. And if a process is missing key elements, it's not a process.
0: Mm, yeah, exactly. That's right.
1: Now, the other thing they can do, is mm. if they want to go beyond just reading a book, um, they can actually go to Reconomics.org, which is the Reconomics Institute, and get certified as a revitalization and resilience facilitator. Mm-hmm. And then they can actually do this for a living. They can actually oh, cool. earn money. Oh.
0: So my, my next question is, is you said uh, to get certified and uh, make money? Is there an economic benefit in this area for people to build the business and make money?
1: Oh yes, you know pl- cities are spending billions of dollars every year trying to revitalize, and most of them fail. Probably about ninety percent of revitalization and resilience initiatives fail, either completely or just partially. And so, if somebody has the knowledge needed to help. Uh, increase the success rate then cities are very much willing to pay for that they don't want to keep wasting all this money
0: yeah exactly
1: and the nice thing is about the process doesn't cost anything it's Mm. the projects that are expensive the process uh, costs nothing at all
0: Uh, can you expand on this a little bit
1: well I mean the process is really just uh, a way of organizing the efforts and organization really doesn't, it's not a capital intensive thing. It's not like you have to buy bricks or concrete or wood or, you know, or get people to assemble something. Uh, so, you know, the basic process is very simple. You, number one, you have to create an ongoing programs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You don't have an ongoing program. You're not going to build momentum and you need momentum in order to inspire confidence in the future of a place. That's the most important single outcome. If you're not increasing people's confidence in the future of a city or a country, then it's not going to attract employers, it's not going to attract investors, it's not going to attract residents. In fact, it's going to keep on losing them. So you've Mm. got to increase confidence in the future, and that requires an ongoing program. And then once you've got that, the first thing to do is create your vision like we talked about before, then create a strategy to achieve that vision. And then look at your policies and make sure that your public policies are actually supporting this regeneration.
0: Mm.
1: And then form some partnerships to okay. attract resources so you can actually do projects. And those projects are the last part of the process.
0: Mm. How, how all this can help the low-income minorities, do you well, think?
1: Yeah, that, that's the important thing about the vision. The vision is where is the most important place to bring in all the stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing a good job of it, then that will include literally all the stakeholders, meaning low income people, uh, racial minorities, anybody who's normally left out. They get into that that visioning session. And if they if they do a good job of creating a shared vision of the kind of community they want in the future that revitalizes economically in a way that's equitable, where everybody gains from it, then and. If you've got a good process, then that vision will will drive the strategy. It'll drive your policies. It'll drive your partnerships. It'll drive your projects. It'll drive the whole revitalization program. So that's the vision is the key to that.
0: Mm, good. <clears throat> do you think that people should, do, uh, the, should help restore uh, the planet for a living in general?
1: Well, they already are. It's hmm. about two, $2 trillion a year. A lot of them are very large companies, you know, big uh, engineering design companies that do multi-billion-dollar projects. You know, like in Florida, here in the states, we've got the Everglades restoration project that's fifteen billion dollars. <laughs> you know, so these are huge projects that are going mm-hmm. on, and there's a lot of money to be made, both for the big companies and for the individual consultants and designers.
0: Yeah, cool. So, but I see i don't know maybe some people for example plastic uh, some people think that is it's not important issue so so uh, these people i think they are lazy or do you think they are lazy towards the environment
1: well yeah you know, it's it, laziness often is just a matter of lack of motivation so <laughs> You know, if you're asking somebody to spend their time as a volunteer to go out and pick up plastic from the beach, then, yeah, maybe they won't do it because they don't have any motivation. They don't care enough Mm. about their community to do it as a volunteer. Mm. But if you can show them if you put together a revitalization or resilience program that's funded and now you've got a beach cleanup project that will pay people, to go out and clean up the the plastic yeah now now you've got something that's uh, that's going to motivate them
0: exactly so speaking of like time time passing by how how were things like in the 80s and 90s in your vision compared to now
1: oh there's been a lot of growth of restorative development back in the 80s and 90s everybody was talking about sustainable development and there's been some good good things that have happened under the name sustainable development. But really, the world is in much worse shape, especially as regards the climate, than it was 40 years ago. So obviously, sustainable development overall is a failure. If it were a success, then the world would be in better shape now and the climate would not be in crisis.
0: Okay. Can, you, can you explain to us how the economy is impacted by the, by the environment?
1: Well, the the entire economy is based on our natural environment. It doesn't matter whether you're producing clothing or iPhones or or what. Uh, you know, it takes ten thousand pounds of natural resources to manufacture an iPhone.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, uh, yeah, you now there's just one one <laughs> iPhone takes ten thousand pounds of natural resources. Most of it is water, but you know, also energy and raw materials from from the mining. Uh, you know, just the uh, you know, and the plastics in there, so uh you know if the economy if the economy is destroying the natural environment, then only the economy can restore it
0: so do you do you are you one of the advocates for not making projects like factories or buildings in uh, in nature in the middle of nature, in the forest? oh like, yeah, obviously putting the yeah.
1: If, if, if we want to revitalize a place, we have to focus on revitalizing the individual properties that are currently just lying fallow, that are unproductive. So before you go out and put a factory in the middle of farmland where you need that farmland to feed your people or putting it in the middle of a forest where you need that forest to produce clean water for your people, you know why not clean up a place that was developed before? You know, it might be contaminated now, but you clean that up, you put the factory there. And now you've not only got a new factory, but you've got a portion of your city that used to be derelict and unproductive. And you've brought that back to life. That makes a lot more sense than destroying something valuable to create something else that you consider valuable.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So do you yourself do consulting with companies or with the governments?
1: Yeah, most of my consulting is with uh, the governments, local governments, but uh, uh, I do occasionally get brought in by private companies. I just had a call two weeks ago from a very, very large uh, global engineering firm that said that they said basically that they're tired of just doing individual engineering projects they want to be able to supply a more complete solution to cities and regions. And Mm -hmm. a complete solution these days basically means revitalization or resilience. And uh, so they were wondering, how do we do that? And I told them that the most important thing would be to incorporate a complete revitalization and resilience process into their offerings. That way they can take the expertise they already have and just package it within this process. And now they've got a complete solution.
0: Mm -hmm. So can you give us some reasons to be optimistic for the future?
1: Well, the fact that the restoration economy is growing so fast is probably the most important reason to be um, optimistic. And individual aspects of it, for instance, regenerative agriculture. Back when I wrote my first book, which I started writing in 1996, and it came out in 2002, I had a chapter on regenerative agriculture. But back then, nobody had ever heard of it. It was it was, you know, just a very few people who were working on the concept. And then what happened was basically when I described that regenerative agriculture was a way of farming that rebuilt the topsoil. So after every crop, you had more topsoil and better quality topsoil than you had before. And you also had helped restore native pollinators and the local biodiversity in the process and restored the watershed. But then what happened was about six, seven years ago, they found out that regenerative agriculture also sequesters tremendous amounts of carbon, that regenerative agriculture actually stores four times more carbon in the ground than reforestation does. So all of a sudden, regenerative agriculture became a climate solution, too. And that was the magic key. And now everybody is doing regenerative agriculture, major Companies like General Mills are dedicating millions of acres to regenerative agriculture. So that's very optimistic.
0: Mm, cool, great. So can you give us one takeaway from this episode?
1: Um, well, it really just uh, depends on what people would like to do with their lives. If, uh, if they would like to um, end their lives looking back on a lifetime that has left the world a better place, then I would say figure out a way to get involved professionally with community revitalization or climate resilience or natural resource restoration. There's so many opportunities to do it and they don't even have to change their current profession. Uh, You know, at Reconomics Institute, we've got graduates who were architects, engineers, lawyers even. Cool. and, uh, you know, people who are involved in fields that had nothing to do with nature or, or cities. But when they added the re- revitalization and resilience facilitator certification to their yeah. resume, now they could apply their legal skills or their design skills or their planning skills to revitalization and resilience.
0: Mm, cool. So, so it's a way
1: of revitalizing their own lives. Yeah, you know, exactly. the, fact. the fact is, what we restore, restores us. <laughs> exactly. What, what, we, what we, we revitalize revitalizes us. Exactly. We live
0: on this planet. <laughs> yep. So, how can people get in touch with you, Storm?
1: Well, if they go to stormcunningham.com, that's my public speaking site and we've got links to all of the organizations and my books uh right there on that one site, stormcunningham.com.
0: Mm-hmm. Good. Awesome. Thank you for being here today with me on the Success Secret podcast. So, yeah,
1: Thanks, Hussein. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Success Grid. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you found value in the show, rate and leave a review on iTunes. For more resources, visit
0: successgrid.net. Until next time.